that Nikki Hopkins on the piano there? <laughs> no, it's you. <laughs> I can hardly tell the difference. Well, <clears throat> I think maybe by the time we've done 10 episodes, we'll stop talking about that that theme song. It's yeah. going to take about that many to get over the, the... The good thing is that I don't hate it every time I hear it. Because it, it's I hear a great it, little chord progression. Thinking, yeah, it's a, it's a nice simple chord progression and the parts aren't awful. It oozes fun. Yes. Um, just like you do. <laughs> well, this is The Backstory, and it's a podcast about songs with killer backstories. And my name is Tom Bridwell, and that is Chris Holt. Hello. And <clears throat> I sort of play the role of the guy who doesn't know much, and he plays the role of the guy who knows everything. And it's working. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, because I sure as hell don't know everything. Today's song, man, you were just oozing fun with that comment. <laughs> Did you hear yourself? I know. Sorry. <laughs> um, so this song today is Gimme Shelter, and this is funny because <clears throat> it's another epic song. It's a song. funny song. Not a funny song, but we keep doing these just epic songs. I, I've said a couple times we might be blowing our wad here at yeah, the very we, beginning. I, we're going we're gonna, to, two months from now, we're going to be doing like, all right, let's talk about Shake It Off. and <laughs> <laughs> Good God, we'll have to have Betty as a, a guest. <laughs> right. Um, so the song itself um, is one of my least favorite, personally. That's I, I, it's, insane. That is crazy talk. I, I'm sorry, dude. I, you know I don't even really like the Stones I, that much. I, I knew that, but I mean, this is but when generally I hear considered that, to be the greatest Stones song. When I hear that Guero... And I hear those vocals in the background... It's, it gets to get, it's like a power down, like kryptonite. I can't that, take it. I don't understand. And this then, is, it's, it's, this is, we're talking about one of, this is the coolest intro in rock history. Yeah. It's, it's, this is the greatest opening track of side one of an album ever. I know I'm being, uh, what's the word? Hyperbolic. <laughs> I'm, I'm being, you come on. Uh, I, I try not to be that way, but I am, I'm, very serious, and this and and there are many people who feel that this is among the Stones' greatest achievements, if not that. But but it is it is I the coolest opening guitar lick that creeps in. It's so menacing and so ominous, and then it turns into this slow build, and then right when the drums kick in, it's just I mean, it absolutely embodies everything that makes the Stones fucking badass, and it it has that threatening tone that the song tells you about right, you know right. about the of the lyrics and you speaking so of what the i'm lyrics, saying is you you're can, wrong <laughs> well you, you i i am willing to admit that i'm wrong well i know you're not I, a big I know Stones my popular fan, so. my opinion is not a popular one but you just mentioned the lyrics have you looked at them on paper because it oh, looks yeah. like they put in a ton of effort on those uh and, yes i have and there's i mean it's Pretty dark. Man. He says the same thing like twenty five times in a row. So yeah, yeah they really worked hard well, on no, those no. lyrics. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be so dismissive. I, I think the repetition is part of what makes it effective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I mean, it, it certainly was effective. I mean, I can't argue with it. It's the friggin' stones, but and the simplicity of it. It's three chords. I mean, it is three chords the entire time. That's and to cool. get that much to get that much out of those three chords. Yeah. No, and it's, and the, it's, it's in the nuances. And but the outro is pretty cool. I mean, oh, that's that that's the best part of the it for me. The when vocals. The, the girls, the girl that sings, 
uh, I think her name was Fergie. No, and she it was not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's this one moment where her voice cracks like oh, real in the coolest the way. Greatest and it's part the, of the whole song. It's so awesome. So yeah. let's just play it so we can get it over with. Okay. <laughs> God, you're the worst. I mean, that intro. And you don't like that? They definitely paid the reverb bill that month. Yeah, I, mean, I would. It, I would argue it, that this. Cool. I would it's argue that cool. this is everything that makes Keith Richards great. It, it it is one of the tighter moments in Rolling Stones history. Like rhythmically, it's very tight, and I like that about it. Boom! Right there. Cool key too. The key of D flat. It's the saddest of all chords. storm is threatening my very life today. That is, I mean, that is a dark opening line. Dude, I'm like, the hair on my arms is standing up right now. Like, I'm getting chills. That chorus? It's, it, yeah, I mean, it is, it's cool. I, I guess this I is give a testament an... to the effectiveness of simplicity in rock and roll. If you have the passion and you have the I mean the, the stones are not faking here this is this is a genuinely dark menacing song there yeah I can't argue that um it there's just maybe this is kind of like it, it's like the Eagles you know they're the one thing people have criticized and it's not even their fault that they were played so much of course certain of songs course, of theirs yes. were played you, so you much that into the ground you, exactly and this is that song for me that it's been used in so many movies and heard in so many like people's like on American Idol and just it's everywhere like, well, I, really, it's on American Idol. Well, I mean, anybody I, I, singing this I, I, on American guessing, Idol, I'm going to flush. You know down, what I'm saying? I, I feel like there's a. Everyone thinks there's. Oh, this would be the perfect song for that, and it's like really, you can't think of something better. It has been again. Overused. You got to go to this song again for the emotion. It has been over. Well, but I feel like, particularly with like Scorsese, I feel like it's always very effective there. Yeah. Might have been overused in other contexts. You know I, where this I, would have never been used? heard it on American. If Idol. this was the theme song for that movie Twister about tornadoes, which I shelter. watched last night, which I I one hundred percent see right. Give me shelter, night. like that would have been perfect. Seriously, my kids love that movie, and we sat and watched Twister last night. At least the back half of it. Philip Seymour Hoffman, dude. Dude, lots of so lots of lost bit players in that too. Yeah, lots. Of, oh, there was the voice crack right there. That is. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Ah, so good, dude. <laughs> so cool. Two cracks though, you know. It's 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 one crack followed by a second crack. Yeah. He changes a word. I think he says, "Love is just a kiss away," yeah. instead of yeah, "rape is just." Dude, I mean, they're, I I mean, mean, they're referring to it's, it's rape, murder. It's just a shot away. It's like war that, is dude, just a war away or something. I don't know. It's, t it's no, too it's complex war, for war me. War children is just a shot away. Yeah. Anyway, 
We know what happens. And it's got that harmonica by Mick. We Mick, know what happens. Mick is the one playing that harp, that real distorted <laughs> Charlie, harp. Charlie doesn't play the hi-hat on the snare, and Keith probably misses a few chords. That's what happens. Yes. End of song. He didn't have very many chords to keep track of in that one. So. No. Um, okay, I, so I, let, just, let's talk just, about I, this one. Like, right. So I, speaking of Gimme Shelter, I watched the movie uh, well, it, as my prep for this, which was not good prep for this, but it was a crazy-ass movie, dude. It's insane. And, I mean, and that's the thing we need to definitely spend some time talking about. In fact, I think that might even dominate the podcast is talking about the film footage right. and what the song has become generally associated with over the years, uh, which is the Altamont Free Concert, December, what was it, December 6th, 1969, also known as Rock and Roll's Worst Day. Um, that was a uh, an epic disaster, Yeah, which the song has become synonymous with it, but little did, I don't know if you know this, a lot of people don't realize the song was not written about that or yeah. after that. It was written before it. It was right. actually written and recorded before Altamont, and it has just become associated with, with it because of the film and because of the darkness, and it's like, oh, this is their song about Altamont. I put that together um, as I was watching because I know that film was basically sort of the, the, the guys were following them on their 1969 American tour, and if they were playing that song before Altamont, which I heard them play, yeah. Then of course they didn't write it about Altamont. Right. You know I didn't do much prep for this because okay. I don't really like the Stones. But I want you to tell me what Good is so Lord. crazy about this song and tell me like what the backstory because I'd love to know. Yeah, and I'm not saying that the backstory is um, jaw dropping or anything. It's it, it. But the the song was actually born in 1960 in early 1969, and it was written. Mainly by Keith Richards. One one thing that people, uh, you know, it's like the Lennon and McCartney uh, partnership. In the early days of the Lennon and McCartney relationship, they were writing songs nose to nose. I mean, they were just writing together constantly right. in hotel rooms <clears throat> and basements and stuff like that. But as time went on, they started to write separately. Lennon wrote his songs and McCartney wrote his songs. Well, Keith and Mick were kind of the same way. Um, and this, you know, they started off... Um, writing mostly together, but then they kind of had certain songs where one would bring in the majority of a song. This case was it was Keith. Keith was the primary writer uh, of "Gimme Shelter," and apparently he wrote the song. He was inspired to write it while watching uh, a bunch of people running for shelter from a violent storm that was coming in London. He was like in a hotel room. And he was watching out his window, and he could just see this violent storm coming, and people, and he saw people running at the, you know, at the bus stops and stuff. I mean, people just kind of scattering about, and he said that was where it came from. Hmm. But he also uh, admitted later that the paranoid tension in the song also came from his jealousy about Mick. And his girlfriend Anita Pallenberg. No who, way. Yeah, who were filming a movie together called Performance at the time, and Keith had become very paranoid that they were having an affair. And you know, you watch the Gimme Shelter film, you can see you see how Mick is, and Mick's got this kind of very 
It's what <laughs> tore Olospo apart. We were always worried Chad was going to go home with all the bitches. Yeah. You, so. You. So they recorded the song. Um, they recorded the basic track for the song in the spring of 1969. And you, if you know your Stones history, which you obviously don't, the Stones were having a very rough go in early 1969. They had just done the Rock and Roll Circus at the end of 1968, and they had been so angry at the Who blowing them off the stage that they refused to release it. Have you seen the Rock and Roll Circus? Oh, yeah, I, I, I know that story. Yes, yes. That's a great story. So, 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 so they were coming hot off of that. If you've seen the Stones' performance in the Rock and Roll Circus, you can see that Brian Jones is a hot mess. Founding member Brian Jones, who played such a crucial role in the early days of the Stones, who was becoming increasingly useless to the band because of his spiraling, out-of-control drug problem. Brian Jones didn't actually participate in this session. Uh, he was there, but didn't play anything. On this track, uh, it's Keith Richards playing both guitars, and then you've got Jimmy Miller doing the percussion. You've got the, the rest of the Stones, uh, Bill Wyman and Charlie, playing uh, their respective instruments. Yeah. But just a couple months later, Brian Jones was dead. That's insane. July 3rd, 1969, drowned in his own pool, and there are a ton of conspiracy theories about that. People who believe there's, you know, there is some evidence that he might have been murdered. By somebody By in the somebody, band? Not in the band, but oh. somebody, but somebody, one wow, of Wow, that's crazy. So you're saying that the tour, did this happen during the 69 tour? No, because that didn't happen until the fall. So that was they a had fall replaced, tour. They replaced Brian Jones with Mick Taylor. Yeah, and a, I was going to say, killer. how quickly did he? I mean, dude, the Stones just rebounded immediately. That's they were, insane. They were in he the middle have... of making a record. They were in the middle of making Let It. Do bleed. you think they reached out to him before, the, like, as in, like, in case we need to boot? Well, they kicked Brian out of the band before he died. He okay. actually was kicked out of the band a couple months before his death. So basically, right around the time they were recording "Give Me Shelter," the backing track for it. Yeah. Uh, because they recorded the backing track in the spring and then the vocals in the fall. Crazy. So around the time they were doing that, Brian was just, he was useless to the band anymore, and they fired him. They were just like, go get your life together, and unfortunately he did not. Tragic story. But uh, one thing that's interesting about this, uh, Keith plays all the guitars on this, uh, the lead guitar, that's Keith. Oh, you know, I think some people mistakenly assume that's Mick Taylor, um, but... It's Keith playing all those leads. He was using an Australian-made Maton guitar. I've never even heard of this guitar brand, <laughs> Maton. And me uh, neither. That's and, wild. And it was some. It was a guitar that some dude, like one of his drug buddies or something, had given him or loaned him. And uh, according to Keith, well, so so this is like a large single cutaway hollow body guitar. <laughs> according to Keith, right at the end of the recording the neck fell off the guitar like the the guitar completely fell apart while they were recording this song that's and keith that's claims ominous. you can hear it on the track oh wow and i have tried so hard i've listened to all the isolated tracks i've gone to youtube i've dug around like i want to hear this fucking guitar fall apart and i can't ever hear it but you know huh. maybe if keith were sitting here he could be uh, that's the pot right there you know that's crazy yeah so Tucker, my dad told me the other night when we were watching, he was over here when we were watching the first pass of Gimme Shelter. He said that he went to that tour. He was he went his only Stones show 
He saw them on the he 69 saw them in the US seat. Tour? He was 19 going to SMU, and he said he saw them. Wow. But I don't see where he would have seen them because I'm looking at the tour dates, and there's nothing in Texas. Oh, oh my God. No, here it is. Moody Coliseum, University Park. I didn't recognize it because it said University Park. Dude, November 13th. 1969. Dude, that is less than a month before Altamont. University Park, Moody Coliseum. So he is remembering it. And he did say that Chuck Berry opened, and he's right. Guess who else opened? Terry Reed. Terry Reed. Yeah. Uh, who, who turned down the opportunity to sing for Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. That is insane. So they played Moody Coliseum. Can you imagine how so, stinky that place was? So, after so that? Moody Coliseum in November of 1969, coincidentally, the vocals for this song were recorded at Sunset Sound and, oh, there was some other place where they did it. Oh, I can't remember where else, but it was uh, in a couple of different sessions between October and November 69. So, wow. this was, uh, so when your dad saw the Stones, this was all right when this song yeah, was being no. finished and the final recording made. That's wild. Yeah. And, and, Weeks, just weeks before the Altamont incident, he was 19 years old, and so he just any, turned 19. So, is there any footage in that movie of Moody Coliseum? I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least a clip. Or well, it two. doesn't ever show. It doesn't ever have the captions. You know, it doesn't yeah. ever say. Mm -mm. You know, like Spinal Tap, where they're like Shank Hall. Yeah, Art, <laughs> not <Milwaukee>. even real. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway, Brian Jones died in the in July. Mick Taylor came in to replace him. The Stones uh, went on a U.S. tour. So before we talk about that, the U.S. tour, and we talk about Altamont itself, um, let's talk about the vocals. Okay. There's a really interesting story about the woman singing on the track. Mary Clayton was her name. And have you ever seen the movie 20 Feet from Stardom? Yes, I have. Okay, so you've seen her talk about this mm -hmm. and... That's a cool movie. Very cool. Uh, apparently, they woke her up in the middle of the night. It, she got a call at like midnight from, I guess, Jimmy Miller. Yeah, we want to. We need you to get down here. We want you to sing on a on a Rolling Stones song. And I she bet. was like super pregnant at the time. Oh my! And God. goes down there in her curlers. <laughs> you know, like that's insane. I bet she was. Okay, being woken up to sing with the Rolling Stones. I just, I'm just astonished that this was a middle of the night recording session. Yeah, literally rolling out of bed, pregnant. That's a, that is heavily just crazy. pregnant, and uh, and then delivering this vocal performance. Um, and when you, I mean, you listen to her vocals on this, man, she is going for it's it. It's the best part of the song oh, absolutely. by a mile. But I think this song has lots of really good parts. Yeah, you, it does. You and I don't see eye to eye on this. No, I, I'll give it to you. I mean, sure. It's a it's a great song. Yeah. It's just, you You're know. You're sick of it. Uh, yeah, that. But it. her vocal, the, <clears throat> what she's singing is cool, but ha just the timbre and how it sounds is just I just love so the fact epic. that they left the voice cracks in there. I yeah, love that they didn't. You know when that's they were the kind of thing that, that 90% of people recording a song would be like, oh, well, we've got to fix that. You know that when they were recording it, which, again, we talked about this in a previous episode, how neither one of us have ever been in a studio where we were recording and we knew this song was going to be a hit. Yes. And I just think that it would be the coolest thing to hear somebody singing that. And you know when they were hearing her sing it, they were all just like, dude. 
this This shit is is going to the top. Yeah, this is going to be a a big big deal. But the Stones were already a big deal. So, I mean, anything they were doing at the time, I mean, that was the Stones in their absolute prime. If you look at that period from 68 to 72, that four-album run, Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street, all back-to-back-to-back, I... I challenge you to name a better four-album run by any. We band. did last week. Well, Pink the, the, Floyd. I, I'm not saying that's better though. I yeah. think that's a that's almost. Well, wasn't equal. wasn't Exile not even that well received? It at wasn't. First. It was it's not took a while. Well, yes, slow it, build. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, because it's country. Wow, well, it's all this country it, music. It's coming. all it's all over the place. It's, yeah, it's, it's my now that record. If that was no, all I, they ever I, I, did, I think the Stones would have been a great band. Drug for you. You finally came around the Stones with Exile. Yes, that's true. Um, um, okay, so back to this. This, so the song, the vocals. His, her vocals, amazing. Are his vocals anything to write home about? Yeah, I think they're great. I mean, he's yeah. dude. I think Mick is awesome, and yeah, and, he's and good. I and I do like the lyrics to this song. I mean, they are as dark as rock and roll gets. I mean, for for a, so for a popular hit it, song to reference rape and murder. Okay, but that's and, what you just said that Keith is the one that wrote it. Yes, it's my understanding that Keith composed Where does the, the majority rape and murder of it. come in with a tornado or a storm? Like I don't understand. Well, I don't know either. You'd have to ask Keith. I don't, I don't really know I where we, I don't know how oh, it Keith got wrote from, the words too. Well, I think that Keith wrote some of the words. I think that the 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 genesis of the song came from Keith. Okay, well, particularly the 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 storm is threatening my life today. You know, and that's uh, really dark and, and yeah, uh, really morbid to be yeah. talking about. And what an amazing inspired opener. from a storm, and then somehow have that manifest into the lyrics: rape and murder. Yeah, just a shout I, and, away and I, and or whatever. And, and I don't really know how much Mick contributed, yeah. but my guess is that Keith came with the blueprint for the song, and then Mick probably helped bang it into shape, and he probably helped with some of the lyrics. Okay, so, so you were saying they were pissed off about. The, the the who blowing them out of the water yeah. and they're going to be doing this tour they've got a new guitar player what what, what how did the free concert come about what okay, was that all that, about yeah for sure so um basically when the stones went out on the road in the fall of 69 and like september on their u.s tour they got a lot of bad press because their ticket prices were really high i and, wonder what and, was high back then. yeah it was like like six bucks a ticket or something <laughs> yeah so Apparently, apparently, a lot of the press was giving them a hard. The, the press was giving them a really hard time about their ticket prices. So, their solution to that was they said, "Okay, well, at the end of the tour, we're going to do a free concert." And what happened was a lot of the uh, they were in the U.S. They were going to be on the West Coast, and there were uh, a lot of those bands in the San Francisco and the Bay Area that wanted to help do this. So they had this whole concept that they were going to do this free concert in Golden Gate Park. And so the people from the Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead were involved. And um, mm-hmm. apparently they had they had announced it. They had made all these plans. But then right at the last minute, all of this planning that had been done by the Dead and the Airplane and the Stones management, it all fell through with the city. And what what there there were a lot of different versions of of what happened there. Uh, it's the damn hippies. Yeah, it was nineteen sixty nine. You know what the, happened? It was basically the. And if you watch the footage in the movie, you see some of that. Yeah, you see that's a whole what lot I'm saying. Like, yeah, 
Basically, the police in the city were not about to do a free concert in Golden Gate Park for all these goddamn hippies. Yes. And so at the very last second, it got moved. And the owner of the Altamont Speedway, which was in Northern California, was north of the Bay Area, um, offered up his place. And, and, and again, you see how, how difficult it was securing that and, secure, and, and getting a plan together for this at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Grace Slick, she just said, bad vibes from the get-go. Yep. She was like, she knew it was, there was nothing good going to come from this concert. <laughs> And uh, so you're talking about 300,000 people, roughly, (laughs) descending upon this speedway for a free concert, and there's no security there. So somebody had the crazy idea that they would hire the Hell's Angels. (laughs) This motorcycle This is insane. They said in the movie that... They they did this for five hundred dollars and beer. Yeah, it was five hundred dollars worth of beer. It oh, wasn't it oh, wasn't five hundred dollars. It was five hundred dollars worth of beer, and uh, apparently it was all just iced down in the bed of a pickup truck. That is crazy. And so, so of course so they're wasted the, by the time the stones yeah, come on. So what the so what the hell's angels hell's angels were told was you can drink all the free beer out of this truck that you want just. Sit on the edge of the stage and keep people off of it. Yeah. How stupid on earth do you did have they think to think that was going to work? Oh, I mean, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. These and- like <laughs> big bullying guys wasted on beer. Yeah. After a day's worth of sitting outside with a bunch of hippies who they hate. Yes. And and you've got people doing acid. You've got people oh my doing God. all kinds of things and. uh so obviously it went it went terribly. So they, dumb. They, 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 their, their whole vision was that this was. Mm. Keep in mind, this is just three months after Woodstock. They're thinking, oh, this is going to be the Woodstock of the West. Yeah, we're going to have this big free love festival, just like we did back in August. Yeah, and it just didn't. It didn't no. work this time around. It was an so unmitigated crazy. disaster. That's ridiculous. So, you know... It, you, it's all documented in the movie. Well, I mean, truly, and, if you've and, never and seen the movie, you should totally you watch it. You absolutely have to see thing. the movie like, because there are, there are batshit moments left and right. So, so the the overview of what happened, you, you have violence, you have death. There were four people that died. Two of them were hit. Uh, there were two people that were killed in a hit-and-run accident. One person drowned uh, on acid, basically was on a shitload of acid and drowned in a pond. And then, of course, you have the murder of a man named Meredith Hunter, which is seen in the film. And they actually have it... it, I mean, you can sit and watch this isolated in slow motion, and it is chilling. It is haunting. And then, if it doesn't... It gets worse, because then they like have a close-up of the girlfriend of this guy... Who has seen her boyfriend just taken away on a stretcher, dead? Yeah, and she's we, we, crying, we, and she's probably on drugs too. Oh yeah, and some other friend of hers is trying to console her, and the cameras are just getting all of it on tape. All of it, and, yeah. and it is we, we you should, can't we even should, believe that it's back real. Up, we should back up a little bit and kind of go through the day because yeah. you got because this 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 concert starts. You know, you have Santana, you have the Jefferson Airplane, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young played. There's no footage uh, oh, of them. Neil Young was there. Dude, I saw no. No, I, there's a there's a little clip of uh, 
I think Stephen's still yes, yes, but there is no actual footage, footage of their of performance. Playing. Correct. So, so uh, according to reports, Santana and the Burrito Brothers sets went fairly smooth. Uh, you, there's a little bit of the Burrito Brothers uh, set in the film, but as They're the playing day a Taj Mahal cover, yeah, as the yeah. day goes on, you start to see shit get weird. Uh, Marty Ballin, who is the singer for uh, the male singer for Jeff Jefferson Airplane, yeah. he gets knocked out by a Hell's Angel, and but then he threw something at the guy first. Well, because he was beating it. on somebody. Yeah, he, the, the Hell's Angels beating on somebody, so the musician Marty throws a tambourine at the guy and then jumps into the thing and then gets knocked out. Gets knocked out, <laughs> and and then of course Paul Kantner, the guitar player confronts the angels and you get that whole back and forth between them where he's like you knocked out my singer man yeah, yeah. and then the guy grabs the mic and starts let me Is tell this you thing something on? yeah here's how it really went down yeah, let me I tell mean, you something yeah. and it's just like i mean the, so passive aggressive from both sides yeah it's really crazy uh, apparently steven St uh, there's no footage of this and and i just read about this steven stills was stabbed in the leg by a hell's angel tripping on something with a sharpened bicycle spoke. Wow. Like like while they were performing, this guy was like stabbing him in the leg and still That's crazy, dude. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I there's yeah, no there's that no footage wouldn't of the CSNY performance. So my favorite part was when the dead yeah, jumps when the out dead the dead show jumps up. out of their helicopter and they're, they're talking. Be they're beating on musicians? Yeah. Phil Lesh, yeah. such a dork. And and, and, and Jerry's, Jerry's just such like, a caricature oh, of himself man. before Yeah. It's just not cool, man. Like, it's just not right, yeah, man. Yeah, and they literally just jump right back in the helicopter. Yeah. They don't even get their instruments out. They're like, we're and, out. And the dead were instrumental in planning this. The yeah. dead were a huge part of it. Like, so many people there were, were looking forward to seeing the dead, and the dead literally were like, fuck this, we are out. Yeah. We, they just refused Smart to play. Move. They jumped back in the, harp, in the helicopter uh, and left. But the, 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 the pinnacle of all of this is, of course, the headlining <laughs> act, the Stones... And when you watch all of the stuff that's happening during this set, I mean, there are repeatedly. Oh, well, first of all, when when they show Mick get off the helicopter, he immediately gets punched in the head. Yeah, you, like, and and they're like, oh, like somebody punched Mick, and Mick's yeah. just like, what? You can see that Mick is really freaked out. And they, he's you trying can hear really it hard. in their playing. That's the one thing that I noticed. Is the play because they show you this movie? You know, they show you this great tour of these killer performances, right. and then there was a little riffraff on some of the stages, like, but nothing violent well, or anything. I mean, it's the stuff. But they were ripping it, and then, <laughs> yeah. then you you the, contrast that with the way that they were playing at the Altamont. They were stage. terrified. I mean, it they was they were visibly their faces were white, like they'd seen ghosts, and their playing was just so. It lacked so much energy, and a lot of the tempos were way slow. I mean, dude, the, the scene in the movie where they're playing four it's feet under away, under my thumb, under my thumb. Well, that's that's the song where the murder happens. Okay, well, and that's that, like that's and you can hear the way they're playing it that shit is not right. Yeah. Like, well, they had to. I think they had to stop that song and start it over, and and they did the same thing with sympathy. So you see, there's and and it's the classic sound bite. Of Mick, you know, why are we fighting? Yeah, they've heard that on the cool ticket for people. twenty years. Yeah, which, and it's 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 really sad in context because you're watching Mick and he just looks terrified. He yeah. looks like, and he's trying so hard. There's so many times where there's all this chaos erupting in front of him. Yeah, and he's, and you see him kind of stop down and he's like watching, just just, and he looks really intimidated. Yeah, but then 
he'll kind of snap back into character and he'll start chicken dancing and trying really hard to, to get, get the audience everybody back. To, yeah. And 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 there's and, like girls in the front row crying and they're shaking and, uh, their, heads. their heads like, like dude, yeah, this isn't right. There, there Stop. Are, there are guys turning. Yeah, they're yeah. they're looking at him going, this is not right, man. This is not right. And he's trying really hard. No, no, come on, people, come on. Oh man, it's it's, it's so harrowing weird. footage. And 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 the surreal stuff just blows my mind. I mean, it, it, during the Stone set, watching from the sympathy for the devil footage through the under my thumb part, it's just one crazy thing after another. It's like this big naked chick trying to get on the stage. There's a giant speaker cabinet that they were, I guess they were using as a as a foldback monitor. Yeah. I thought it was a the barricade. Audience. They were using it as a barricade. Well, I assumed it was a foldback monitor oh. that they were trying to use so they could hear some stuff. But, but maybe either way, it's in the audience, and they're like crowd surfing with this gigantic. And we're, yeah. I'm not talking about a little amp. No, it's I'm like talking a, about eight, a, 10, a gigantic base cabinet. Yes, no, it's it's wild. I mean, it's the kind of thing that would crush you if it landed it, on exactly. you. Exactly. No, you're, and then th- and then there's like a dog s- that runs across the stage. That was you, so strange. <laughs> you, you see, just out of nowhere, you see this dog run across the stage. You go, what the fuck is that dog yeah, doing there? No, that's that was wild. <laughs> but then all the and then you've got these hell's angels who are in their leather vests and they're all at this point when it's dark they're wasted and they're yeah. being dicks they're violent they're it's it's unbelievable the, the, the scariest part of the whole thing is this guy who is having a psychotic episode and and the camera zeroes in on him and dude the, the scariest part of it is that he is only about five feet from Mick. He is literally standing on the stage about five feet from Mick Jagger and he is clearly having a psychotic episode his yeah, face is contorting and he's like and he looks like he looks like he's about to go into some sort of psychotic rage he looks like to me okay so his hands he's kind of closing his fists opening his hands closing his fists he's jaw jacking like he's had tons of meth or something yeah. and he's just looking around it's like he's in slow motion it, and it is weird and you know but, but it's terrifying you know that Mick is aware Oh. Of this guy, and he's trying to like sing, but he's like, I'm just get I'm me just like, away how from on this dude. Earth, is this happening? How on earth is Mick Jagger standing there with this psychotic? I mean, this yeah. the guy looks like he is having a whether or not he was like, say, a psychotic person, he looks like he's having a psychotic episode. He looks like he is ready to murder. Yeah, and, it's, and it's it nuts. Is, it's nuts. It is most of the footage that they were watching. Like, the cool thing about that movie is that they're. You can see them sh- watching the footage. Like they keep cutting back to Mick and Charlie watching the footage, yeah. like in some room. Yeah. And you, I, I got the sense that they weren't really pleased with most of what they had seen. Oh yeah. Mick seemed to be unimpressed by some of the playing. He he seemed to be embarrassed about some of the things that he was caught on tape saying to the press and just in the hotel room. He well, kind yeah, of seemed like, God, that's what Mick I look and he's like. Very, and he's very flippant and he's yeah. clearly stoned. Like when he goes, when he gets off, he gets punched in the head and then he goes to his trailer. Yeah. Like, and he comes out of the trailer and he's clearly high as a kite. Yes. And it's like, I mean, he has to have realized in that sobering moment, post Altamont, man, I look like a fucking asshole. Yes. The, he, it is so obvious yeah. that he is realizing it's it's clear as day on his face that he's mortified yeah. Yeah. at some of that footage. Yeah. And Charlie, of course, always so stoic. He just yeah. looks like he's just like, oh, fucking Mick. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all we did today was just talk about the movie. But well, the, the, no, the, it's just I, the, the, I just can't. 
I can't disassociate the two things. And I was I was mentioning that, you know, I, I yes, I guess you would have to be uninformed to think that the song was about the incident. But I, I don't know, I thought that for years. I was like, oh, that's the song they wrote about. You know, and not realizing, oh, yeah, there is footage of them playing that. Right. You know, like I hadn't made that connection. And, and you know, but when you read about it and when you put uh, all the footage with the, the, the context of everything that was happening in 1969, you know, the aftermath of the rock and roll circus and then Brian Jones and Mick Taylor coming on board and then the U.S. tour and all that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating story. So Mick Taylor, he a pretty short time in the band, or was it a long time? He was in there uh, for what would be considered those crucial. Well, he didn't come in until after Beggar's Banquet, and but he, he came wanted in for, more money, right? He yeah. wanted more of a piece, and they basically said, "Yeah." Nyeh. So I, did I tell you that my dad about two months ago he went to Georgia to hunt on. Chuck, Chuck Lavelle? Chuck Lavelle. The great Chuck. Yes, and he who said... Is, who has been the MD for the Stones for, what, the last 25, 30 years? Yes, and he's also done very well financially with other things besides the Stones. Yeah. And so he has this huge he's hunting... He's Brothers for a while. Yeah, he's got a huge hunting place in Georgia, and my dad was with some other dudes that were invited there. So he got to like have a couple dinners and hear stories, oh, cigars, wine, whiskey, all that with Chuck Lavelle. And... He said Chuck basically was like, yeah, Mick could have been the guy, but he wanted more, and he left, and the rest is history. Yeah, rock historians consider Mick Taylor the best guitar player of, of the Stones. You know, he was definitely the one who had the most unique kind of phrasing, and he was definitely, the I guess, I guess what you would consider the best player. Yes. Best lead player. I mean, his solo, like on Can't You Hear Me Knocking, it's so buttery and so good. He could have been the Ronnie Wood and still be stayed, doing it. Stayed for another thirty. If years. If he had to just yeah. not, if he'd just not. Yeah. He did come back and play with them some. Though. Yeah. They, they've, been, they've they've had him as a guest on some of their recent tours, like, like where he'll come out and play a couple songs. You know. Yeah. There's so many that there's so many people in rock and roll who have made that mistake of oh, kind yeah. of trying to bite off more than they should have, and it just Don Felder. Like, <clears throat> yeah. I was gonna say there's. Just the list is long. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, there were there were a couple things I wanted to mention. Uh, it, we we were talking about Mary Clayton and uh, her vocal performance on the song. Sorry, this is I'm I'm, I'm backtracking. It's all we, good. I, did, I never mentioned this because this is a <laughs> another kind of dark footnote. Apparently, after Mary Clayton went home from that session, she had a miscarriage because she, she was heavily pregnant. And some people have speculated that that miscarriage was due to the intensity of her vocal performance on that song. I'm like, God. So now whenever I hear it, I can't unhear that. I can't. There's no, I'm not a doctor, but I promise you. That, that didn't. There's okay. no way that singing like that killed her baby. Okay. That's f ridiculous. Okay. I mean, that's I like, sure as hell hope not. No. That's ridiculous. Well, the, the song couldn't have uh, held any sort of bad memories for her because she re-recorded her own version sh shortly thereafter, which was, I certainly would hope that that was not the case, but I, I mean, had, all we've ever heard about babies is how tough they are, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so. So you mentioned Next. earlier, you, you mentioned earlier that this song has been overused in uh, pop culture. Yes. Uh, 
what are some that you can name? Because I the, the ones that immediately come to mind for me are Scorsese films. This song has been used in three different Scorsese films. Can you name them? Do you know it? Well, I mean, one was The Departed. Yeah. Uh, the opening scene, the establishing scene of Frank Costello in The Departed. Right. Which I think uh, is a really underrated what, film. It was in Goodfellas, right? Yeah, it's during the, it's during the whole crazy cocaine scene of Goodfellas. Right, and then I... I'm not sure if I can guess the third one, but I would. My guess would be Casino. Yeah, it's Casino. Yeah, yeah. and they use a weird live version of it in Casino, which uh, I, I, whenever I hear that, I'm always like, oh, why did you <laughs> you're using the same song again, Marty? But why this version? He just wants to keep getting free tickets to the concerts. <laughs> Most people probably don't remember this, but there was a uh, little song, a uh, little movie called Adventures in Babysitting. From, oh yeah, from about 1987 or so that. That features the original recording of this. Wow, <laughs> I, I do remember the movie. I just didn't. I don't think it's I saw whole, it. It's this whole scene where they go downtown underneath underneath the 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 bridge <laughs> to. They're looking for Vincent D'Onofrio's uh, repair garage, <laughs> and they play and they play "Give Me Shelter," and it's like the whole menacing intro. <laughs> I just like I watched that fairly recently with my kids, well, we and have- I just remember being like. How the hell did they get the rights to this song for this movie? I don't think that the Stones have ever been. They haven't been too. No, they haven't. Uh, discerning with their I don't tunes. Feel like I feel like they've sold every single song multiple times, and that's cool. They've Whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do to pay money. the bills. They've made a lot of money. Listen, the, we we also should probably talk about the Super Bowl, right? When they played it with Fergie. Well, it's okay, that's what you were referring to. Yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, I I think I've seen that footage. Yeah, it's and, the Super Bowl. That's what and it was, it was pretty bad if i remember like she was flat and well the stones she was super the, the overtly stones, sexual and it was well, just kind yeah, of she's the worst ridiculous. yeah uh i don't remember much about that maybe i've blocked it from my subconscious yeah but you know i've seen the stones live a bunch of times the stones are an acquired taste uh as far as being a live band they're sloppy and they're a mess they're great but they're also you know mick doesn't really sing he just barks yeah no, it's part of it. That's probably why. I'm sure I would have liked them more if I'd grown up with them, but I'm looking back on it as kind of like these old farts that just won't stop. And I, guess I could see that, but you have to put it in context. Go back 50 years and look at who they were then, who they were, what their place was in pop culture then. They weren't old farts then. They were Yes, they, they were, were the they bad weren't, boys. But like even the, in the 69, I would consider that, that fall tour of 69 to be like probably their peak performance-wise, would you say? I mean, whenever I see any live footage of them, I'm always kind of baffled at how sloppy they are. That's what I'm saying. So, like, if if you pick the best... Like, you pick it, and I'll pick it apart, because you you pick their best tour performance-wise, and I'm telling you, it was just not that great. It, it had well, balls have, and swagger yeah. out the ass. But I think, but that, it's like I think that that a lot of people tightness. would argue that that's what rock and roll is. It doesn't See, need to be. It doesn't hell? have to be this flawless. You know, like I'm not like, asking for flawless, but like it's just I mean, crazy. Just because you're turned up loud and you're you have like this attitude of you know like a spinal tapian attitude. You know, just like the it it. it it's kind of a joke. I can, I, I can right. I can, I can see some spinal tap in Mick. 
Yeah. But, but not really in Keith. Oh, you know? dude. Keith, the th- scene where they Keith were. Makes it, I think Keith makes it so oh, cool. Oh, yeah. I thought, okay, so the scenes from the movie where they're in the hotel playing back the, they've just, it looks like they've just come from Muscle Shoals. Yeah. And they're, they set up they're a little stereo. They're listening to Wild Horses. And they're listening to Wild, well, no, this is, they were listening to Brown Sugar. I oh, think. that's right. That's right. Okay. And they're playing it for some people, maybe some record label people, and they're all kind of digging it and dancing and grooving around. And they stole that scene for Spinal Tap. <laughs> In the where are they now? <laughs> that's a, that's where they they hear listen. Well, yeah. I, w- I would I would assume that there's definitely some influence there. Yeah, and it you know, and that's cool. I mean, it, playing your track uh, from Muscle Shoals for your manager that's awesome. But it's just it was really funny mm-hmm. listening to them listening to themselves. I, I I can totally see where you're coming from, but I think that in in order to give the Stones a free pass as a live band. You have to have a deep appreciation of their music and who they were and what they represented to rock and roll. You know, I mean, look at a band like that. In in, in 1969, they had been around for about five or six years having a consistent string of hits. They're already an, an anomaly in the pop music world. You know, bands like the Beatles and the Stones usually bands came and went in the same year. Like right. nobody really had that kind of longevity. So for the Stones to to continue evolving and making not only new music, but new music that was relevant and that was on, you know, with the finger on the pulse of what was going on in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a big deal. And the Stones, unlike the Beatles, didn't split up. You know, the Stones yeah. kept rolling along. I mean, they and, and really... If you look at, you know, if if you look at the run they had from about sixty five to about eighty one, my I, I would say eighty one tattoo you is probably my last, the last great Stones record. Some people might argue differently, but but that's what I would consider the last great Stones record, dude. That's nearly twenty years. That's yeah. a really good run to have of making relevant music. <clears throat> it's not you know? as good as the other. See, that's the thing, and, and this is. A I'm good, just saying to, to being really relevant in the pop world. I, that's I, a big. That is a hell of a run. I totally. I, I get it. I just. You're, you're uh, about to make some joke, aren't you? No, 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 no. I was just going to say, like, I thought you were basically <laughs> saying, like, compared to the Beatles, like this run they've had is just kind of makes them better. I'm not saying it makes them better at yeah. all. I, I prefer the Beatles to the Stones, but the Beatles had a a seven year window of existence as a record making entity you know the beatles only existed for 10 years as a band and for 7 years as recording artists and the stone you know and and i think that part of what enhances the beatles mythology and their their legacy is the fact that they ended right after they made abbey road i mean of they, course. they 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 ended and they never they never soured it. They never, they never soiled their legacy. And I think that's what the Stones are doing, is well, soiling I think they, their I, legacy. But, but I think Each they year a, that they say it's their last tour, which they've done the last 10 tours, well, it's our last one, and then they come I, back and I, do so it again. So many bands do that, though. So uh, but many, that doesn't make it right. I'm not saying it this makes it right. This is the best band, the so-called one of the best bands ever, just continuing to... I just don't think you can argue with their catalog. Because I think you, you can. Well, okay, you I can. There, you could. Well, I know because you can. You know but if who I has a down, better catalog than the Stones? The Kinks. Better, and just as much longevity and just as much relevancy, and they're still together, sort of. No, they're not. The Kinks broke up thirty years ago. I thought that those dudes put out a, an album like. 
No, no, no. They haven't. They haven't reunited since the nineties. Okay, they, they, the they, 90s, they basically the 90s. they broke up in the eighties. I thought the nineties was last they, week. They broke up in the eighties, and then I think they tried to reunite in the nineties, and it didn't work. And then that they've never been able. to Well, they, their they catalog was, is better. Well, but better is that's just subjective. Mm-hmm, I I, I, I'm not arguing with you because I'm a huge Kinks fan, but but just to say that I, I I wouldn't say the Kinks are better than the Stones because I don't care. Why does somebody have to be better? Like it's like people say, oh well, Beatles versus Stones. I'm like, no, I that's like them silly. both. I, no, I, I don't right. understand why you have to pit one band against the I, other. And I don't it's like why to. can't I, I have the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks? I just I, I guess what I'm saying is <laughs> is that the the argument has always been the wrong argument. It's not Beatles and Stones. It's Beatles and Kinks. Who's the best band ever? The Beatles or the Kinks? <laughs> and that's an ender. <laughs> <laughs> We're just getting started. This could go another hour. Adios. Adios.